Do you know how to spot financial abuse and divorce? Welcome to episode 106 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. Today, we're going to get down to it and talk with an expert. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoy. Welcome, everybody, to episode 106 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I am your host, Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy. And today, we're going to be talking about financial abuse in divorce. Is it happening to you? Have you heard of it happening to others? We're going to understand what some of the red flags are and what you should be looking for and considering if this may be an issue for you and your situation. My guest today is Lisa Ziderman. She's managing partner at the law firm of Miller Ziderman, uh, located in New York. And now she regularly handles complex financial and custody divorce matters for high net worth individuals. She was named to Crane's New York list of notable women attorneys for 2002, Hudson Valley best lawyer for 2002, a 2021 best family law attorney for client satisfaction by the American Institute of Family Lawyers, among other awards. Ms. Ziderman is also a founding member of the American Academy of Certified Financial Litigators and a member of the Panel for Attorneys for Children. She is a Fordham University Law graduate. She also serves as Vice President of the Board of Savvy Ladies, which you've heard me talk about on this podcast, by the way, and on the Board of Lyft, Legal Information for Families Today. So let's get right to it. Let me welcome my guest, expert Lisa Ziderman. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Yeah. So um, we were just talking off uh, air for a second. You're in the White Plains area uh, around New York City, right? I'm in Manhattan and in White Plains, although at the moment I'm in White Plains because I had a few court appearances today. That's right. You get around. (laughs) I'm headed to Manhattan right after this. I know you. I remember you telling me that it's a good day. It's nice out. It's like 60 something degrees. Yeah, except now pouring, of course, because right. to Manhattan. Well, of course, <laughs> that's how it works when it, when you have to go out. Um, so I start off um, with every show the same way, um, and that's to give people who aren't familiar with you a little bit of flavor about who you are and kind of how you got your background, you know, and how you got to this point. So introduce yourself to everybody and, and let everybody know kind of the path you took to get to where you are. Sure. So um, I am a managing partner of a law firm, Miller Ziderman, which is located in Manhattan and in White Plains. We have about 25 attorneys and we are a crew of over 40 people now. We built our firm starting in 2013 and we focus on matrimonial and family law. And my path was a little windy. I actually started out in the fashion business went through my own divorce, decided that I found some of the financial issues to be very interesting in terms of divorce, and decided that I wanted to go and get my undergraduate degree at that point, because although I was in my own business in the fashion business, I didn't have my undergraduate degree yet. So attended Fordham, and then Fordham Law, and then worked for several different firms, and then started my own practice. 
Well, and the rest, as I say, is history. <laughs> that's a that's a, a it's a that is a, a windy road indeed. Going from fashion to then going to undergrad, then deciding to go to law school that takes commitment, right? Because that you don't do that in a year, you don't do that in two years. It takes quite quite a number of years. Yeah, it took I guess um, seven, as a matter of fact. I went full time. And I was also raising a child at that point and I got remarried. So lots of great things that all happen after a divorce and should give a lot of people a lot of hope uh, for what their next chapters could be. Yeah. And, you know, we don't talk about that enough. And I know that's not really the focus of today's conversation, but I'm glad that you brought it up because, you know, as tough as going through a divorce is um, the focus, why you're going through it is about what it's going to be after. At some point, no matter how bad it is, it'll end, right? Um, and you got to keep your post-divorce life um, in mind uh, because that's going to direct you on how to make any decisions during the divorce. I think right? that's 100% correct. And I think that people need to look forward to when they are finished with their divorce, how they're going to be able to raise their children, co-parent, and actually build their financial future, including their careers, retirement, et cetera. So I think it's really important that people look at this as a new chapter and figure out what is interesting to them and how they can build this new life and look forward to it in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like a fresh start, whether you intended to have it or not. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a good way to approach it. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So today we're going to be talking about financial abuse. Um, and now, in addition to being a family lawyer um, and the path uh, and a fashion guru, <laughs> um, I um, you also have a finance background. Is that correct? Well, I, I don't have a finance background. I okay. actually I am a certified financial litigator. I am also a certified divorce financial analyst. So I guess from that point of view, I guess that's a finance background. I don't think of myself as a finance background, but I do have those certifications and I do understand the financial issues that are relevant in a divorce, tax issues, et cetera. So, and I think it's more issue spotting that I know when I see an issue, what needs to be done and who the who the correct person is to turn to, whether it be an accountant, a forensic accountant, someone who can trace separate property, any, you know, someone who can actually divide the retirement accounts or figure out the deferred compensation or the value of restricted stock units, et cetera. So I think it's important that anyone who's at, who's in the divorce practice be able to understand the finances. And although I don't think of myself as having a deep financial background, I am very savvy, frankly, about the finances because it's part of what we should be savvy about. Yeah, no, but what I meant was your, I guess your credential specifically for your certified divorce financial analyst um, you know, I've interviewed many finance people who have that designation and right. And we talk, we talk about family attorneys who would bring them on to discuss, you know, specific financial issues in the divorce, but because you already have some background in that, you kind of have a leg up and then, you know, you can like at the very least identify the issues and talk about them a little more in depth before you maybe bring on somebody else. A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. And awesome. I think it's a really important background to have because there are issues that come up all the time, whether it be um, the selling of a, a home, capital gains taxes, the issues, as I said, of RSUs or deferred compensation and recognizing whether it's an incentive plan or not, 
um, and and various issues, in including capital gains. I, I I will say there are always interesting things to learn, and which is one of the things that attracted me to the the area of matrimonial law. There are always interesting financial issues to learn, whether it be what what can you do with your five twenty nine monies? Can you use your five twenty nine monies to pay for private school for your your children? What you know? What are the deductions that you could take on your tax returns? All of those things. So, divorce has a lot of financial issues, and I think. Divorce attorneys need to be savvy. And if you're choosing a divorce attorney, you need to choose one who understands those financial issues. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Although in full disclosure, disclosure, uh, when I practiced, um, my head is not hot wired at all financially. Uh, so when we started getting into the weeds and that stuff, you know, I could feel myself getting a headache right now, my eye twitching. And <laughs> So I would always tell people, especially the finance people that we would have to bring on as experts. I think like, talk to me like a third grader, because otherwise, you know, it just goes over me. Um, but I agree with you. The, the more knowledge you have, uh, the better equipped you can inform your clients about uh, and then decide how to proceed from a strate strategic point of view. Um, so when we're talking about financial abuse, right, that's the topic for today. What What's your definition of financial abuse in the context of divorce? So I think it's when someone tries to control the finances to the exclusion of the other spouse or other partner to a point where the other spouse is so excluded that they literally are unable to meet reasonable expenses, understand what finances there are, what, what are the actual assets and the liabilities, that they don't have access to those assets and liabilities, that they are essentially controlled and excluded, and therefore they are no longer in any form of power in the relationship. They lose all power. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have enough money um, or access to the finances to purchase food, to purchase, you know, gasoline, to have a car, to be able to take your care of your children, to get child care for your child so that you could go to work. If you are in that position, then you are being financially abused. If there are those assets that would be available to you. Right. And when we're talking about divorce, usually from my experience that I see that happen um, let's just use for today's example, you know, uh, let's say the, the husband is the primary wage earner and, um, you know, the other mom is a stay at home parent, um, and maybe isn't, you know, into the day to day finances, husband has all the accounts, knows everything, all the passwords. And then when he decides, right, he decides, okay, today's the day I'm going to get divorced. He hires a lawyer, maybe serves her with a complaint, whatever. But then he can control and he would typically lock her out of anything, even if she had access to it at the time. Is that, that's sort of what you're talking about? Yeah. I, you know, I think that for a lot of people, that's how they live their day to day lives long before the divorce starts. That is, is the situation that they're in, which is that they don't have the passwords to the accounts, that they may even be working outside the home. And perhaps in some cases, which may be surprising, they may be earning the lion's share of the monies and yet turning them over to the other person who then takes control of those assets and doesn't give them the passwords, doesn't tell them how much there is, doesn't let them decide how things are spent or invested, et cetera. And so those are all ways of exerting control and power. And we always talk about 
physical abuse and we talk about verbal abuse, which are obvious signs of abuse. You know, you could see someone pushing someone, right? Or be or blocking the room so you can't get out, or you can hear, you know, the the person cursing at you. But it's that that idea that you now have control, that someone else has control of your assets, your income, your your ability to move around in in the world, essentially. And you just are in this black hole with no information sometimes. It's all there. It may all be there. There could be you know, $5 or $5 million. It doesn't matter because if you don't have access to it and you don't know what's there and you, you aren't able to make decisions about what to do with it, how to spend it, how to invest it, and you're being told that you have no right to know, essentially, and that I'm not going to tell you, then you have no, essentially, equality in the relationship. And keeping in mind that marriage is supposed to be a financial partnership. And so that's not a way that anybody would ever want to be in business with a partner, right? And right. yeah, it's true, marriage is not a business, but in some ways it is a partnership. And at the end of the day, you have to treat it in, as such. Exactly. Now, the way you've been describing it uh, is, you know, sort of like you said, during the marriage, this may be the lifestyle, right? Uh, and maybe it's, it doesn't hit the person who is being financially abused right away that it is in fact abuse, right? They're just, they just think this is the way it is. This is the way everybody is. Um, but then at some point, maybe it clicks, maybe they will watch this uh, podcast episode um, and they'll say, oh, wait a second, that sounds like me. What tips do you have for somebody who feels like that, who maybe hasn't started a divorce yet, um, but maybe there's red flags there of financial abuse? So there's a couple of things. Number one, there are organizations that actually help people. Um, I'm actually vice president of the board of Savvy Ladies, which is an organization that has a free helpline where you can go and be matched with a financial professional and try to understand your, your finances. You could um, use that, that as a resource. Um, the other place is to find an attorney who you can have a consultation with so that you could understand what the issues are, speak to a um, really good friend, speak to your therapist, speak to an accountant, um, a financial advisor. There are so many people out there who are interested in helping you. You just need to find that right person who, who will have your back. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up all those different people because what I call those people oftentimes um, in a, from a co divorce coaching point of view is you know your team of objective professionals. Right. Um, and it, it starts usually in divorce with an attorney, um, but it, it, it can range from so many different others to a coach, to a forensic accountant, a CPA, a therapist, like you said. So I'm glad that you rattled off all those different types of people. Um, one of the things I often hear uh, from people and, and it's the person being, you know, abused, financially abused in the context that we're talking about is that, you know, do you have an attorney, I say? No, I can't afford one. Okay. Why is that? Right. I, I probe deeper uh, because usually it's not just, I don't have any money for an attorney, you know, and oftentimes the response I get is, well, I was a stay at home parent and he has control of all the finances. Right. And so he has an attorney because he went out and he, re he retained one. No problem. Um, but I don't have access to 
a retainer fee to to retain somebody. So I can't get one. And that's so sad to me when I hear that because as a former practicing divorce attorney, like I know that's not true, right? And so what are some things when you hear that story, do you hear that story? And, and how do you counsel somebody in that position? So look, we hear that story quite a bit where somebody just doesn't have the access to the funds. First of all, there are um, certain bar associations that will recommend pro bono counsel. Um, there are courthouses where you can go in as a pro se litigant and then ask for legal fees for an attorney. So you might want to pick out an attorney, choose your attorney, get your retainer agreement, go into the courthouse, go in as a pro se litigant, file with a summons and a complaint, get yourself on, you know, work with, with the court system. They have people who will work with you get yourself in front of a judge, explain the situation. It's very hard. Look, I, I don't think it's easy when you're in that situation. I, I think it's very hard. There are also, during the litigation, if you can borrow from a friend or borrow from a family member, during the litigation, once you get your attorney started, there may be a way for your attorney to actually make an application to the court, a motion, what we call pendente lite, legal fee motions. And there is a presumption in New York State that if you are um, married to a moneyed spouse or this or or with a moneyed spouse, that that moneyed spouse will be responsible for a portion of your legal fees. And so, getting in front of a judge and putting in an application is really important. And making sure that your attorney does get paid and cooperating with your attorney to do that because it's so important. I think sometimes people just give up or they don't get the information to the attorney. Um, in order for them to make the application, they don't understand it is really complicated and sometimes expensive to make these applications. I mean, yeah. we, we've just worked on probably three in the last two weeks, right, that are heavy duty motions to get pendente lite support, pendente lite um, legal fees, expert fees, all of those kinds of things for people who either don't earn as much as their spouse don't have control of the finances. There may be, you know, quite a bit on the other side, but you don't have the access right. or, um, you know, or just you're not earning at all because you've been in the stay at home parent. Um, I'm not saying it's easy because it's definitely not easy, but I'm also going to say that you can't keep perpetuating the problem by not doing anything about it because at some point something's got to give. And I will also say that a lot of times, what starts out maybe as financial abuse or starts out as verbal abuse and then becomes financial abuse could then also become physical abuse. And when you don't have um, essentially, and I'm going to use that word power because I think a lot of it is about power and control. And when you don't have access to those funds, you're, you're kind of leaving yourself very vulnerable. And so getting an attorney getting into court, even if you have to walk into that courthouse yourself and file the papers yourself, you need to do it. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. Most states have some sort of mechanism for uh, applying for, like you said, it's called pendente lite relief, which is just a fancy legal word for all you listening out there for temporary relief uh, during the divorce process. New Jersey has it. I remember filing those motions and they are there um, to do it well, you know, it's a really substantive motion um, and you need to, you know, have a lot of proofs and exhibits and it, it takes time and it, and, and it's not a cheap motion to file. Um, but you need to first get your lawyer on board to file it. So that's what we're talking about. Kind of just 
the catalyst, that spark, you know, somehow if you can, if you can find the resources or borrow the resources, knowing that hopefully if the motion's successful, you'll get some of that back. Um, right. And the whole idea is to be on an even playing field, um, with your spouse during the process. A hundred percent. And look, there, there lots of people have family members who care for them and understand the situation. Um, people have friends who have gone through divorces who are willing to lend a hand. You're, you're going to have to ask for help. I mean, that that's really the bottom line because you've got to get yourself out of the situation if, if, it, if you are in that situation. Because as I said, the years will go by and not doing something isn't really helping. Right. Not Inaction is not an option, really. It's not. Um, because you're just going to get... And it's sad, you know, you're just going to get pushed over um, and, and the and the court is not there to advocate for you and, and they're going to push the divorce through because they want it off their docket. Right. Um, and, you know, if your spouse has an attorney, it's just not going to end well for you, um, most likely. So, right. Whether it's whether it's just getting yourself in front of a judge um, and, you know, asking for financial relief at that stage you know, isn't necessarily rocket science. So even though you're not a lawyer, you can make that request um, and, and even maybe show the basic proofs that you don't have any money, right? The, the whole the whole point is, judge, I don't have any money. Um, and he has a lawyer and, you know, that's not right. So um, judges understand that dynamic. The good judges do. <laughs> and and hopefully that can get you on the right on the right path. Um, and then you contact somebody like Lisa and then off you go. <laughs> so Lisa, before we, we end, I told you time flies when we're having fun here. Um, but what would you say would be, if you can, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, your two to three biggest tips that you can give people, um, to properly, you know, deal with financial abuse, um, whether it's, you know, before the divorce starts or during the process. Okay, so I'm going to say, and and this may not be the most popular, but I'm going to say the first thing is to try to keep your hand in a career um, somehow, because having a job or a career gives you the ability to earn, and that gives you the ability to put money into an account for yourself if your spouse is essentially hoarding the monies, and um, that's really important that you have a safety net. So that, and I know that that's not something that may be viable for people because they're raising children or they they have spouses who just don't want them to work, whatever it is. It's really important that you try to keep your hand in something, even if it's volunteering in some way, so that you can go out and turn that into some sort of a position later. I, I will also say having some sort of safety net, trying to save some money on the side in an account in your name alone that's also very important. And then if you are being abused, then you need to do something about it. You 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 can't just, you know, stay in a marriage where you're being abused or a relationship for that matter where you're being abused. If you aren't getting the information, if you're not allowed to see the credit card statements, if you can't see the bank account statements, if nothing is coming home um, and, and everything is a secret, that probably isn't the best way to... Um, maintain a marriage. And so you need to, to go get help and you may need to get out. And there really is hope after a divorce and there really is a life after a divorce. And you have to really believe in that and believe in yourself and stand in your truth and understand that you're going to need to make certain 
you're going to need to take certain actions that may be difficult now, but may really prove positive for you and your children, perhaps later. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. And and one of the golden nuggets that I took out of that too, and tell me if you agree with this, is you know a lot of the things that we're talking about today, right, don't happen overnight. So creating a little account for yourself in case of an emergency, you know, it takes planning um, and, and and time. Keeping your um, what should we call it? Your your skills, career skills available and up to date. So even if you're not working now, you could go out tomorrow and get a job if need be. Um, right? That takes time. If you have to go out and get a certification or take another class or or brush up on, you know, new technology. But so, you know, have a strategy. And that's what I always say, you know, create a strategy um and have a plan. Um, and then that will be uh the best way to follow the path. A hundred percent correct. Lisa, this was so good. I'm so glad I had you on to share your knowledge and experience with everybody. Where can people find you? So they can find me at lisaziderman.com with um, Ziderman spelled Z-E-I, D as in David, E-R-M-A-N. They can email me at lz at mzw-law.com. They can call my office and reach out to me at 914-455-1000. And I have a LinkedIn presence. So I, I'm easily found. Awesome. And you are mainly in the New York area, right? Do you, yes. do you work outside New York or represent? No, I, I have an office in Manhattan in Midtown. And I have an office in White Plains across from the courthouse. And I really tend to be in Manhattan, Kings County, Westchester, Rockland, Putnam. Um, so that metro area. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for being on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. All right, another one in the books. I hope you enjoyed that episode and learned a little something about the signs of financial abuse when it comes to divorce. Now, if you're looking for help in your divorce, please reach out. You could reach out at jason at jasonlavoy.com or my website, jasonlavoy.com. I'd be happy to get on a free complimentary strategy call and talk about your situation and figure out how and if I may be able to help you as a coach. I do offer a group and one-on-one divorce coaching services. So also, if you like the podcast and want to hear more of it, please leave a kind review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help spread the word. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon. Oh,